Al Jazeera podcast. Can Egypt help end the war in Sudan? Cairo is hosting a regional summit, but the warring sides are not there. So can diplomacy work this time? And what's the fallout of this conflict on the region? I'm Mohamed Jamjoum, and you're listening to the Inside Story podcast, where we dissect, analyze, and help define major global stories. All right, let's go ahead and bring in our guests in Cairo, Sara Kira, founder and director of the European North African Center for Research. In Washington, D.C., Giorgio Cafiero, the CEO of Gulf State Analytics, a U.S.-based geopolitical risk consulting firm. And in London, Dalia Abdelmunim, a political commentator who fled from her home in the Sudanese capital, Khartoum. A warm welcome to you all, and thanks so much for joining us today on Inside Story. Sada, let me start with you today. So this initiative being presented by Egyptian President Abdel Fattah al-Sisi, it's based on a ceasefire, uh, the opening of safe passages for aid, and a comprehensive dialogue, among other things. What are the steps that Mr. al-Sisi is proposing uh, that need to be taken in order to achieve this? And can diplomacy, from your point of view, can diplomacy work this time? Uh, it's very hard to predict if diplomacy can um, work this time. It's more of, I see it as more of pressuring the two, uh, uh, war, the two war parties in Sudan through the neighboring countries. The neighboring countries, well, this summit pillars are three more most important pillars. First, which is the humanitarian relief for the Sudanese people, which is a worry, a big worry for all the international society, uh, the humanitarian crisis that Sudanese brother and sisters facing now. This is the first pillar of the summit. Second pillar, uh, diplomacy or a political settlement, like the leaders today were trying to uh, settle on one political plan or action plan to uh, uh, um, like uh, try and pressure the two war parties in Sudan to cease fire. Um, this will not be through diplomacy as much as it's through pressuring, especially uh, the speed armed forces, because they have ties with Chad, and this is why the first ministerial meeting for this summit will be in Chad. Dalia, um, there have been so many disturbing reports that have emerged out of the conflict in Sudan. Uh, we've heard from the U.N. The U.N. says a mass grave containing at least 87 bodies has been discovered in Sudan's West Darfur region. The victims were reportedly members of an ethnic minority group. The U.N.'s Human Rights Office condemned the killings and said that it had credible information that the rapid support forces were responsible. The RSF, of course, denies that claim. How does this news that has emerged impact the process of peace going forward? Um, it, it impacts it simply because um, both sides are violating, you know, they're violating so many conventions and so many treaties through, uh, through, uh, in this war. And it makes no difference. They can, they've been denying everything. I mean, anything you throw at them or you accuse them of, each side denies it. So if the RSF is the one who's committing murder and genocide and raping females, the army from its own side is arresting and holding without trial uh, a democracy civilian activists and resistance committee activists. So both sides are, 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 violate, are in violation of so many agreements. And at the same time, I mean, hearing about the summit in Cairo, 
I mean, they can hold as many summits as they want. But if both sides have no intention to end this war, then it's just, end of the day, it's just a group of leaders meeting in a nice room and discussing things that have no effect, in, uh, will have no effect on the reality, which is what's happening right now in Sudan. So it, to me, it's just, um, unfortunately, it's just another way of to just further extend this war. And all these talks and all these meetings will have little effect. Mm. Uh, Giorgio, you heard Dalia there talk about the fact she said that uh, you can have as many summits as you want, but if the warring parties uh, aren't uh, really wanting to engage with each other and to try to stop this conflict, not much can be achieved. Uh, Egypt is hosting the leaders of Sudan's neighbors in order to find ways to try and end the conflict, but the warring Sudanese factions haven't been invited. So what can be achieved without the presence of those warring factions? Well, I think the skepticism that many people have expressed is well-founded. What the Egyptian leadership obviously believes is that it's absolutely necessary for there to be greater regional and international cooperation with the leaders of all the countries that border Sudan, putting pressure on the SAF and the RSF to come to some sort of an arrangement that can bring uh, some peace and stability back to Sudan. I would add, though, that while you rightly point out that the absence of the two warring sides is problematic, there is also a problem that the civilian elements of Sudan, the elements who were um, critical to the 2018-2019 revolution and those who actually have legitimacy among different communities in Sudan, their absence is problematic. And then I'll add to that that the absence of some other outside actors that are playing uh, influential roles in Sudan, uh, such as some of the GCC countries, that is also a bit problematic, too. And I think we have to be concerned about how some of the external actors who are not present in Egypt today have potential to play some spoiler roles. Uh, Dalia, I saw you reacting to some of what Giorgio was saying there, and it looked like you might want to jump in. So please go ahead. No, it's, uh, I agree completely with what he said. I mean, from the beginning, ever since this conflict started until today, the civilian aspect has been severely curtailed and pushed to the sidelines, albeit uh, in, in regards from the, from the Sudanese civilian point of view, some of the civilian actors, we do not agree that they should represent us, seeing simply because of their failures in the past. But at the same time, they need to be there. And I agree. I mean, you had the IGAD meeting a few few days ago, and you had the likes of the Ethiopian and the Kenyan representatives, presidents, saying there should be a no-fly zone. Already, the language that has been coming out from all these summits has been quite problematic and worrisome as a Sudanese, because this, to me, just seems to will extend the war even further. And the other parties to the party, the other parties to the conflict, the GCC, I all mainly Saudi Arabia and the UAE have a big role to play, and yet they seem to be reluctant to come out, you know, come out to the forefront and say, okay, this is what we're going to do, simply because it plays to their own interests, what's happening. And then you have the role of mm -hmm. the United States, and who's consistently insisting on sending a representative who, mm. in my opinion, is one of the sole reasons why we're, we're in the mess we are right now, Molly Fee. She doesn't seem she's inept, in my opinion. She's completely inept to the job uh, for the job. And so there's a lot of 
actors to this conflict and either they're playing their cards close to their chest or they're just toying, so to speak, mm. with the situation. And the longer this takes, the longer this conflict continues, the worse the situation will become, not just for Sudan and the Sudanese, but for our neighboring countries, regional issues, you know, resource issues, the mm -hmm. water, the rainy season is coming up. It's just a mess and mm. no one seems to have a clear idea as to how to go about to put an end to this conflict. Uh, Giorgio, I just want to ask you to elaborate on some comments you made a few moments ago in your previous answer when you talked about some GCC countries that were involved in promoting the conflict. I wanted to ask you to please elaborate on that. Well, after uh, President Bashir fell from power in 2019, what we saw was Saudi Arabia and the UAE step in very decisively. And as a consequence of Bashir's fall, uh, Riyadh in Abu Dhabi gained a tremendous amount of clout in Sudan. And I would say out of all of the GCC countries, probably it's the UAE has been most active and most influential in Sudan. When we talk about the RSF and we talk about Hameti and the extent to which this warlord has become so powerful in Sudan, it's impossible to ignore the Emirati factor. You know, Hameti helped out the Emiratis in Libya and also in Yemen. They, uh, from the perspective of Abu Dhabi, he represents a bulwark against political Islam in Sudan. So this relationship between the UAE and the RSF is incredibly important. I think looking ahead, I um, don't believe that the RSF is in a position to completely knock out the army and have some sort of a decisive victory. But perhaps this conflict will freeze at some point mm. with the army and the RSF having to sort of share some power under some sort of an arrangement, and the UAE will continue to be able to assert its influence in Sudan through this very powerful military, paramilitary force. Sarah, uh, since the beginning of the conflict, more than three million people in Sudan have been displaced. About 700,000 of them have gone to neighboring countries. I, I want to ask you about how much concern there is that more fighting will only deepen this already dire humanitarian crisis, and, and also how much concern there is from neighbors of Sudan who, who feel that they aren't equipped to handle uh, potentially more of an influx of people who are fleeing Sudan. Okay. Um, of course, Egypt is one of the first countries, as well as the neighboring countries who are collected today or meeting today for a collective work to work on a peace action plan for Sudan, because those are the countries that are taking all the negative consequence of a civil war. And it's very hard for us, it's very sad to call it a civil war, but it is a war over resources and power. And the importance of collecting or meeting up with the neighboring countries today, first of, uh, of all, because they are the people with the most numbers of refugees or hosting refugees from Sudan. So they are the first borders to uh, 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 bear the negative consequence of the conflict. Second, with all the risks that we can calculate out of having a problematic civil war on our borders, uh, the first thing is the misery of the Sudanese people. 
So um, in Egypt, as you all know, we have received a huge number of refugees and it's affecting, of course, our resources as well. And the neighboring countries have influence over Hamiti. Speaking of Hamiti, he has very close ties from Chad and he's being funded by Chad. Oh, and, you know, because of the tribal nature of Sudan and some of the neighboring countries, some of them are helping, some tribes are helping Hamiti. And the absence of the both uh, 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 fighting parties in Sudan in the summit is because it's a civil war. It's because two parties have neglected the uh, uh, misery of the people and continue to barbarically or to fiercely fight each other over resources and power, neglecting the uh, uh, humanitarian crisis and neglecting the future of the Sudanese mm. people. So today we have taken uh, 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 the responsibility as Egypt and Egyptians as well, because we are very worried amid this economic crisis. Mm. We want everyone to live peacefully, especially in those countries neighboring us and bordering lines with us, because enough problems Egypt has now mm. and enough severe economic crisis Egypt has now. That's why on the summit today, there has been a call for the inclusion of the civil society, especially women and youth. There hasn't been a neglecting, uh, 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 um, uh, like uh, um, neglecting, uh, 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 how do you call it? Sorry, neglecting uh, forces or neglecting um, uh, uh, efforts, efforts, that's the word I'm looking for. <laughs> Uh, so Sarah, the efforts of the Sarah, I'm, I'm society of I'm sorry to interrupt you. It's just that we are we are starting to run out of time, and I, I just want to ask uh, Dahlia a, a question uh, about another initiative that's that's been going on uh, recently to try to bring it into the conflict. Um, you have uh, Ethiopian Prime Minister Abe Ahmed. He has called for this Egyptian initiative that is being worked on now. Um, to essentially coincide with the IGAD initiative, which had been announced earlier. Um, of course, relations between Egypt and Ethiopia have been strained these past few years. So does that complicate the push for peace? It always complicates because as a Sudanese, I will always wonder what's the ulterior motive behind any sovereign country's push for peace in, in, in Sudan at this moment in time. Uh, simply because I think outside actors have played a significant role in destabilizing this country ever since the revolution in 2019. And, but at the same time, I welcome any initiative from any side that will actually somehow concretely bring an end to this mess. But I don't know. I mean, Ethiopia has been—there's been talk that Ethiopia supports the RSF because of the dam issue, and there's also, of course, Egypt supports the army because it's an in institution and also, again, because of the water and the dam issue. And so it's, I think, in, in the midst of all of this, us as Sudanese, and I'd just like to correct Sarah, it's not quite a civil war because the Sudanese people are not, are not siding with either side. We're the ones who are caught in the middle. So this is a war between two heads of military units, and we're the ones who are paying the price. And... It's it's a horrific situation to be in because for so long Sudan was an was a country that took in so many refugees and migrants and yet now we're the ones who are seeking refuge and a lot of the doors are being closed on us and it's it's a hard situation to 
you know, to, to appreciate because there's only so much that we can do. But at the same time, I mean, I have I have very low hopes for anything to come out from any of these summits, but that's all we have at this moment. And I'm hoping there's a breakthrough somehow. And I think that breakthrough will come from those who can pull, who can yank the chains harder on either side, whether it's the army or the RSF. Dalia, if I could, if I could just ask you as well. Um, obviously, uh, it's very emotional having to deal with all of this. Um, how painful has it been for you, for your family, for your loved ones? Uh, I mean, I go to bed every day. And I just have one prayer. I go back home soon. So it's uh, it's it's horrific because there's nothing I can do. There's only so much I can do. And you just hear, you read, and there just doesn't seem to be any... I don't know. Uh, I don't know. I just, I really don't know. It's just yeah. a horrible situation to be in. Terrible indeed. Uh, Giorgio, um, you wrote a piece recently in which you discussed some of the security threats that Egypt might face due to the conflict in Sudan, and you said that non-state actors could potentially exploit Sudan's crisis in ways that would directly threaten Egypt. How might that play out? Yeah, well, the Egyptian leadership had to deal with the, the conflict in Libya, which created a tremendous amount of concern in Cairo about the potential for various non-state actors, terrorist organizations to infiltrate uh, Egypt from Libya. Now, with the situation in Sudan, there are, of course, these concerns in play, which helps us understand why the Egyptians have been so determined to try to securitize their southern border. Obviously, as everyone knows, for many years, um, Egypt has dealt with terrorism crises. And if there is um, a scenario whereby Sudan does uh, break out into an all-out civil war, we deal with total state collapse, there are going to be many power vacuums in Sudan that very nefarious actors uh, have the potential to exploit. This is a concern for Egypt. It's also a concern for countries in the Gulf. You know, um, Saudi Arabia, for example, is trying to, uh, you know, advance these projects aligned with Vision 2030 on the kingdom's Red Sea coast. So a, a terrorism crisis in Sudan could impact uh, countries in the Arabian Peninsula, other countries in Africa. So it's not—my point is it's not just Egypt, but all of the countries in the region have very good reason to be concerned about what um, state collapse and dangerous power vacuums in Sudan could mean for everybody. Uh, Sarah, it looked to me like you were nodding in agreement to a lot of what Giorgio was saying there, and it looked like you wanted to jump in, so please go ahead. Yes, uh, the security threats is one of the what 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 is on the Egyptian minds. Sudanese people are on the Egyptian minds. As Dalia said, and my heart goes to you, that uh, we had a lot of Egyptians working in Sudan. Now we're receiving Sudanese and back our Egyptians who were working there. It's a situation that no one wishes Sudan to be in. And out of geopolitically speaking, uh, adding up to what Giorgio said, is that 
all neighboring countries have to be, not only for the humanitarian crisis, which is the biggest on our minds now, but also for their own security, politically speaking, also for the neighboring countries. That's why I'm um, trying to reflect some hope to Dahlia uh, that uh, it might it might go well. It is civil war, not because people are involved in it or killing each other. Sudanese people are so much better than that. But it's because uh, we're dealing with the consequence of al-Bashir's rule of power. He created a very strong paramilitary that now tribes are supporting with uh, weapons and uh, uh, army, army staff and everything. And this war will extend as long as some of the neighboring countries, because of the tribal nature, are uh, working with Hamiti or the National Army of, Lib uh, of uh, Sudan. National Army of Sudan, of course, he, Egypt has an interest, as Dalia said, to deal with them, because you always like to deal, as a state, you always like to deal with uh, the intact party or the party that has an interest of the stabilizing the, the, the country. In Sudan's, in Sudan's uh, situation, that has not been the case by the army, because the army has helped in sliding into the civil war and has been slided into that. So now to pressure, to pressure on both parties to care for their people and to stop fighting over whatever there is that they are fighting about, either power or resources or the rule of Sudan in the future. This is to be determined by the Sudanese people and the institutions of Sudan. The future of Sudan will be determined by the Sudanese people. But mm. the neighboring countries are pushing for that because there is no prosperity, no political settlement until those fighting parties stop those military actions for the sake of the people and saving this humanitarian crisis. Now, mm. we have slided in from to Southern 19, a revolution, a legitimate people mm. revolution asking for stabilizing their country and prosperity and welfare as it should be to a civil war between two very strong parties, which is the army and another paramilitary forces that's being supported. Mm. To stop the support and to stop Sarah, this fight, we have to Sarah, degrade I'm, I'm, both parties. I'm sorry to interrupt you again. It's just that we only have a couple of minutes left. I do need to get back to uh, Dahlia and ask one last question. Uh, Dahlia, Egypt has historically had close ties with the Sudanese army. Um, from your vantage point, does that make this task as far as pushing for peace easier for Egypt or more difficult? Um, it's not going to be easy, but I think uh, Egypt, in a way, has played it smartly so far. They've they've kept quiet. They've kept on the sidelines. And I think they've waited for others to do their part. And the failures of the other sides has allowed Egypt to step up and say, OK, let's do this and we can do it this way. And having read what uh, President Sisi said that the, the the summit aims to do. Mm. So far, it seems to be the most concrete steps taken to somehow bring an end or like, you know, the three-month cessation of conflict is a good idea, mm. the safe passage of humanitarian aid, so on and so forth. So I hope, I mean, I do hope the Egyptian, you know, initiative works. But end of the day, if all the parties concerned or, or parties who are have a stake in this issue mm -hmm. don't play their part, it's futile. It's just absolutely useless. Because, and 
And that goes to not just mm. our neighboring countries, but also goes to regional powers and international players as well. Mm. All right, well, we have run out of time, so we're going to have to leave the conversation there. Thanks so much to all of our guests, Sara Kira, Giorgio Cafiero, and Dalia Abdelmunen. This episode was produced by Mohamed Al-Aishi, Katia Lopez-Hodayan, Abla Kla, and Jimmy Gerahun. Studio sound was by Yasser Rahmani. The program was edited by Ahmed Atfaga, Khaled Sultan, and Joe DeFrias. Be sure to subscribe to the Inside Story podcast to catch every episode. Thank you for listening. Tune in on Friday for our next episode. This week on The Take, we look at the violence in the West Bank and how the Palestinian Authority has been boxed in by a peace process that no longer exists. That's The Take by Al Jazeera. Find it wherever you get your podcasts.